This is Global News Hour at 6. Huge waves crashing onto shore on the south coast this morning after powerful wind gusts blew across the region. Countless trees taking down power lines, leaving tens of thousands in the dark and causing transformers to explode. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Well, many people spending their day assessing the damage caused by this morning's storm. Some homes and vehicles were hit by falling trees and a number of ferry sailings had to be cancelled. The most serious incident, seeing a woman struck by a tree in Port Moody. Grace Key begins our coverage. A fierce windstorm blew across Metro Vancouver and Vancouver Island, causing plenty of damage. Wind gusts reached 95 kilometers an hour at the Tawasson Ferry Terminal. Nine BC ferry routes were impacted and a minor electrical fire broke out when salt water got into a pump house at one of the bursts. Whoa. Passengers waiting for a ferry got a front row seat of the storm. The water hit the window right there. They go... All across the region, toppled trees are the biggest problem. When it gets really windy like that, uh, I could hear the wind blowing this morning and I knew right away I was going to get a bunch of calls. Luckily, a Surrey family wasn't home when this tree came crashing down on their Guilford home, tearing through the roof and landing right in their living room. It's really bad and also my living room, the, the ceiling is already on the floor. And then the wire here and there, we have no power now. In Surrey's Ocean Park neighborhood, strong winds blew down a tree with branches smashing through the windows of two neighboring homes. Luckily, no one was hurt. We could hear the roots snapping. Obviously, it was very windy. And hopped up out of bed and actually saw the tree fall. Residents at the Meadows Complex in Surrey's Wally neighborhood got a scare when a tree came crashing down on their townhomes. And a big cleanup for a homeowner in Port Moody where a tree snapped right at the trunk, landing across a car and front lawn, narrowly missing the home. And branches from a falling tree hit a 23-year-old Port Moody woman as she was walking to a bus stop at Cecil in Evergreen Drive. First responders were able to safely get her out and she suffered minor injuries. In Vancouver, there were more than 30 calls into the city's 311 phone line with reports of fallen branches. At the height of the storm, BC Hydro says there were 73,000 customers without power, starting on Vancouver Island. Surrey, Langley and Delta were some of the hardest hit areas. So the, the challenge right now is as crews are making repairs and restoring power in some areas, uh, the winds are continuing to hit us, so we are seeing more outages pop up as they make repairs. By early Sunday afternoon, the wind warning came to an end, giving cleanup crews and hydro workers a chance to catch up with repairs. Grace Key, Global News. And take a look at these other scenes of storm damage. A street in Burnaby temporarily closed after a large tree branch snapped, crashing down onto some wires over on the Sunshine Coast. Another large tree crashed onto a truck in Seashelts and narrowly missing a house. Fortunately, no one was hurt. And in West Vancouver, stores at Park Royal Shopping Centre couldn't open for business until this afternoon because the power was out. Firefighters in North Vancouver had to put out a fire sparked by a downed tree on a line. Let's get more now on just how powerful this storm has been. Our meteorologist Yvonne Schall is standing by. Yvonne? 
Thanks, Sonia, and good evening, everyone. The storm intensified, and the strongest winds were overnight leading into the morning hours. Here's a glance at some of the peak wind gusts that we saw. Out of the airport, it was sustained winds at 59, and then gusts of up to 83 kilometers per hour. Tawasson was closer to 95 kilometers per hour. Abbotsford saw a gust of 72 areas near Saturna Island, impressive this morning at 120 kilometers per hour. And inland sections for the island or near Nanaimo today, gusts of up to 35 kilometers per hour. The winds are the big weather story. We also saw a significant amount of snow. Here's a shot earlier of what it looked like. This was up at Mount Seymour where they saw 35 centimeters of snow uh, over the past 24 hours. And here's a glance at a few of the other numbers. So it was falling as snow for higher elevations and areas near Grouse saw the snow totals of 44 centimeters. Cypress at 63. Whistler Blackcomb with 79 new centimeters of snow. Mount Washington saw 80 centimeters overnight and over a 24-hour period we're closer to 110. I'll have more on what we can anticipate for the beginning of the work week and back to school coming up shortly. Sonia? All right. Thanks very much for that, Yvonne. Let's pick up with Mount Washington and what you just showed us there. The resort was forced to close because of that heavy snowfall and the heightened avalanche risk. It was so treacherous last night that dozens of people couldn't leave, stranding them on the mountain. Kristen Robinson has that part of the story tonight. On the left there is my Honda CRV, and I'm going to try and walk through here. Just to give you an idea of how deep it is. This is what Mount Washington woke up to Sunday. <laughs> Megan Barker didn't get far after digging a hole to the road the night before. <laughs> and it is to my tummy, or my waist, even higher, almost to my chest. And I knew it was coming, but I didn't realize it was going to be almost 100 centimeters, so all of the effort <laughs> with trying to clean, keep the car clean was almost a waste. I thought we were stuck. Everyone now digging out. More than a meter of snow in 24 hours, including 80 centimeters overnight, combined with a high avalanche danger forcing the resort to close for the day. Everywhere, including the backcountry, the avalanche risk is at high. And we've seen naturally occurring uh, avalanches within the resort. So that means that there's a high risk for human-triggered avalanches. It's up to his head. About three dozen people, including a group of Boy Scouts, spent Saturday night at Mount Washington's Lodge, stranded due to treacherous road conditions. There are cars just down there as well. We couldn't even hardly find our cars. It was uh, a little intense. Jessica Collado's Chevy Blazer and her brother's Land Rover buried somewhere in the Alpine Lodge parking lot. It's unbelievable how much snow is here. <laughs> Still, the blanket of white doesn't beat 2010 when two and a half meters of snow fell over 48 hours, forcing some to tunnel in and out. The resort working hard to dig out lifts while MCON gets the road moving again. And unless you can flip this snow day around, it's cabin fever for most. I don't think I can get oh. oh my God. Okay, <laughs> I'm coming back. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Well, the storm also hampering rescue efforts in Coquitlam. A 48-year-old man was hiking on a trail in Bunsen Regional Park yesterday when he became lost. A search and rescue team headed in to look for him at 11 p.m., but the wind was just so loud they couldn't locate him right away. Crews resumed their search early this morning. They were surprised, though, to find the man was able to walk out of the woods and greet them in the parking lot. He wasn't hurt, and Coquitlam Search and Rescue say that he survived because he was prepared for the conditions. 
And Oak Bay police are looking to solve the case of a smashed sailboat that's missing an owner. Police tweeting this picture of the sailboat that crashed into the shoreline outside a local school. They are looking for the owner and they're warning people to avoid the area, saying it is dangerous. Now to the search for the driver responsible for a hit-and-run crash in Burnaby. It happened last night along Caribou Road. It's the same stretch of road that area residents say is unsafe. As Tanya Beja reports, it's been the scene of two other accidents just in the last week. One that left a teenage girl dead. First responders rushed to a Caribou Road crosswalk after a man was struck by a vehicle Saturday night. It breaks my heart to hear that some things are like that are happening right in front of us. It happened around 5.30 as the victim, Amancio Hernandez, crossed the street to attend church. The driver fled the scene. Police now searching for a black Dodge Charger with possible damage to the front passenger side. It was like an accident waiting for one to happen, you know, and very, very sad. This is the third collision at the crosswalk in a week. Last Wednesday, 15-year-old Fernanda Giroto was struck and killed. The next day, a cyclist hit. People who live in the area say speed is a major problem. In just a two-hour span Sunday, police ticketed 30 drivers. Both myself and my husband have had a, quite a few close calls where people have not stopped. People come down this road like they're on a rally and uh, the visibility is very poor. I like to see a light, something, so that the people can actually cross. The cars will stop. Kay McDonald lobbied the city for the crosswalk and a light years ago, but is still waiting. The reason they wouldn't put a light in, they said it would interfere with the freeway traffic. We've asked the staff to go back and reconsider whether or not there are other options that could be utilized that will help to make this safer. Hernandez is recovering in hospital with fractures to his face, ribs, pelvis and knee. Friends set up a GoFundMe page to support his family and to plead with the driver to come forward. As police step up enforcement, residents want change now. I just would like to see something done. It's like, I can't imagine something like this happening again. This is, like, heartbreaking what's happened. Tanya Beja, Global News. Vancouver police say investigators spoke to more potential witnesses to last weekend's deadly shooting in Mount Pleasant. The VPD set up a mobile command centre outside the Indochine restaurant where shots were fired. A 15-year-old boy who was an innocent bystander was killed along with a 23-year-old man who police say was targeted. A few more people did come forward to speak to police, but they are still looking to talk to more. Call Crime Stoppers if you have information and you wish to remain anonymous. A search is underway in Campbell River for two people who went missing this afternoon near Woods Creek. Campbell River Search and Rescue, along with other emergency responders, were called afternoon over reports two people crashed their ATV into the water. The heavy rainfall and snow melts in recent days have caused high, fast-moving water in the creek. A helicopter and the Coast Guard have been deployed to help in the search. Hearings are set to begin in Burnaby tomorrow on the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. 
Opponents, including the cities of Burnaby and Coquitlam, say the proposed route will impact homeowners and the environment. The National Energy Board hearings are focused on the detailed route of the project. The federal government approved the 1,100-kilometre pipeline back in November of 2016 with 157 conditions attached. The hearings are expected to wrap up by the end of the month. A reminder that starting tomorrow, BC ferries will be smoke-free. Passengers will no longer be able to light up on the outside decks of BC ferries vessels or at any of their terminals. BC Ferries says that the policy is in alignment with other transportation services and is making sure that everyone can breathe smoke-free air. This coincides with the start of National Non-Smoking Week. Still ahead tonight, could this be a sign of life? We hear from the people who took this drone photo and why it's giving hope to the parents of a couple whose plane disappeared outside Revelstoke. And the body part that's on tour, making a stop in Calgary before it comes here. Why the arm of St. Francis is such a draw to believers. That is next. Welcome back. Well, it has been an emotional time for the families of a couple who went missing when their plane disappeared near Revelstoke. Now a drone photo showing what could be the wreckage of the plane is giving them hope for closure. Tonight, we take a closer look at that photograph, the drone technology behind it, and how the families have continued this search from afar. When the family of Ashley Borgo saw this photo, they had an immediate reaction. This one just kind of popped and we were like, whoa. Like, it was very shocking. Borgo, a mother of three, and her boyfriend, pilot Dominic Neron, were flying from Penticton to Edmonton at the end of November when their plane suddenly vanished. Not willing to give up the search for closure, Borgo's family has since spent days poring over drone photos of the area. We have thousands and thousands and thousands of pictures to look through, right? So... That's what we just we just do in our spare time. And when they saw this one, the feeling of renewed hope. We think it may say help or hear. We're not sure. Um, it could be just shadows from stick trees as well. But the substantial piece is the, um, what looks to be a propeller circled in blue. And then to the left of that, there's another circle around what looks to be wreckage. Barnes says the plane didn't have a logged flight path, but the site is near a route Neron had flown before. It's also not far from where the plane dropped off radar. We've had a couple of these photos turn up where there are definitely some uh, suspect targets. Sean Adams used his industrial class drone to take the photos in December, flying at 30 meters above the ground over mountainous terrain. He got involved after seeing posts on social media pleading for any help. My reaction to the photo was that, you know, it, it definitely needs to be looked at again, that particular site. Revelstoke RCMP say they continue to search whenever the helicopter is available. Borgo's family is waiting for conditions to improve so Mounties can search the specific coordinates of the photo. And they're hoping it could help bring closure. Now, one of the most revered Catholic relics is headed west. The right forearm of St. Francis Xavier is now on display in Calgary. 
He is said to have used his right arm to baptize tens of thousands of converts. It's not seen natural decay since his death in 1552. The arm now on a cross-country tour, visiting 15 cities across Canada, including Victoria, later this week. St. Francis Xavier died 465 years ago, and uh, there are a number of saints in the Catholic Church who, like Francis, are considered incorrupt, which means they're the remains haven't decayed at a natural rate, and uh, so in this case we have we have a completely intact right forearm and hand. That's uh, wow, that's quite amazing, mm -hmm. uh, quite a sight. All right then, uh, here's another sight, very different, Barry and Yvonne. Uh, we will start with the weather because it's been pretty well, very windy out there. <laughs> very active, depending on where you are. Uh, um, the wind started to ease off this afternoon. All the wind warnings have ended now. Uh, lots of instability out there this afternoon. We even saw a few isolated thunderstorms. I had a few lightning strikes pop up on the radar. Here's a current shot of the satellite and radar where we are still seeing a few isolated showers. Areas along the island and higher elevations, we can see it along the island. Still tracking some snowfall at this hour. It'll start to ease off. We are still looking at a fairly active day for tomorrow morning for a few spots. I'll outline what that means. We do still have a snowfall warning for the mountain passes. I'll have some of those totals coming up shortly too. Okay. I was going to say, I mean, pretty bad for the those that had power outages and, and more serious conditions. But, you know, for those of us that didn't, it was still pretty freaky hearing how loud that wind was last it night. It was so windy, my hair almost moved. I mean, it was, oh, it wow. was blowing That's hard. Strong. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> a lot of product. A lot of product. A lot of product. Who's moving in sport? Uh, well, lots going on today. Uh, perfect day to sit through a storm and just kind of work the remote. Uh, two great <laughs> NFL football uh, playoff games, of course, and the Canucks uh, back on ice. Tonight, taking on Winnipeg, Bo Horvat's much-anticipated return, although uh, so far it's been all Jets, but uh, some very good, almost one of the biggest upsets maybe in NFL history, or one of the big, not maybe NFL history, but it's mm. certainly a big one in, in New England. But Tom Brady, as he always does, came through. That guy's like a did. charmed life. Superman, he? Yeah, he does everything. Yeah. All right, then. Lots of Brady fans out there, I know. Um, also still ahead, the U.S. government remains closed at this hour. How it's affecting life south of the border. Also, a major highway in California set to reopen weeks after being buried in a mudslide. And later, the very bold step one man takes to find a kidney donor. That is when the news hour continues. Stay with us. Welcome back. Well, the full weight of the U.S. government shutdown is being felt today across America, with government-operated facilities closed since Friday's failure to reach a consensus. It is causing headaches and disappointment for many, including tourists hoping to visit America's most famous attractions. In the nation's capital, the Library of Congress, the research library that officially serves Congress, is closed to the public. New York's Statue of Liberty was closed this weekend, so visitors had to enjoy Lady Liberty from a distance. Congress is still getting paid, everyone's still getting paid, and we're the ones that suffer. I guess this area is usually like packed with people that want to go, and now nobody can. The gates are closed at the National Museum of the U.S. Air Force in Ohio, while in Austin, Texas, the Lyndon Baines Johnson Library and Museum, one of many facilities run by the National Archives, closed down because of the shutdown. Facilities at Mount Rushmore in South Dakota are closed. Roads and trails at Great Smoky Mountains National Park are open, although visitors have been warned that important services are not available. There's no bathrooms, <laughs> so that does make it a little hard, <laughs> which would really be nice if they had those open. But, you know, you understand they don't have the staff. 
Fortunately, the view and the wildlife have not been affected by the shutdown. Dan Sheneman, NBC News. Well, as mentioned there, good news for visitors hoping to check out the Statue of Liberty. New York State's government announcing it will pay to reopen Lady Liberty and Ellis Island this week. That is at the cost of 65,000 U.S. dollars per day. At least 18 people are dead following an attack on a hotel in Kabul, Afghanistan. Five gunmen. When we stand together, when we march together, but especially when we vote together, we are an unstoppable force for good. I do apologize. Uh, let's move on. Thousands of people picking up the protest for the second day in a row to speak out in support of women's rights. At the second wave march in Las Vegas, female politicians encouraging attendees to register to vote and in several other U.S. cities. Thousands marching for policy change to several key issues, including reproductive rights, immigration reform and pay equality. A major highway in California is set to reopen weeks after it was buried in a mudslide. Transportation officials say that Highway 101 should be clear for traffic by tomorrow morning, but some ramps leading on and off the highway will remain closed for now. Crews have been working around the clock to clear the road of mud and debris since January the 9th. That is when heavy rains caused a hillside to give way and bury large parts of Montecito. At least 21 people were killed in that disaster, which destroyed hundreds of homes. Her funeral is on Tuesday, but today hundreds of fans lined up in the rain to say goodbye to late Irish singer Dolores O'Riordan. The open coffin viewing was held at St. Joseph's Church in Limerick, Ireland. O'Riordan was the lead singer and songwriter of the popular group The Cranberries. They sold millions of albums in the 1990s. She was found dead on Monday in a London hotel room, sparking an outpouring of grief from around the world. Her death not considered suspicious, although a cause hasn't been determined. She was only 46 years old. A volcano near Papua New Guinea has erupted again. Thousands of people have been evacuated from islands around the South Pacific nation's north coast since the volcano began erupting on January the 5th. Flights nearby have been cancelled due to the risk posed by ash plumes. Ships have been warned to steer clear of the region too. Last week, seismologists warned that activity beneath the volcano meant a major eruption could be imminent. All right, our meteorologist Yvonne Schall will have a look at your full forecast coming up next. And it is a big night in Hollywood for the Screen Actors Guild Awards and the Me Too movement. Stay with us. Welcome back. I want to bring you some breaking news right now. Campbell River RCMP confirming that one of two missing people have been found dead. Two young people and one adult tried to cross an overflowing creek on an ATV near Campbell, ATV even near Campbell River this afternoon. Only one made it across. A youth now in hospital and is expected to recover. But tragically, the body of another youth was found hours later. The adult is still missing. The search now being suspended for the night. Crews are expected to return tomorrow morning at first light. It's been more than a week since the visitor's centre just outside of Merritt was closed. Destination BC argued there simply weren't enough tourists coming through the doors to keep it open. But the town's mayor says that the move now is only going to further hurt the local tourism industry. 
The visitor center in Merritt was operational from the official opening of the Coquihalla in 1986, but it's now permanently closed as of last Friday after the province refused to put money into necessary upgrades. Number one, we're disappointed. We've been uh, discussing this with the government for uh, probably a year and a half, if not longer. Destination BC argues that this visitor centre just became a bathroom stop. The request for information or travel information, trip planning information, is not that significant at this location. So there really hasn't been a lot of opportunity to encourage people to get off the highway and go into downtown Merritt. But the mayor of Merritt, Neil Menard, feels the closure will significantly cut down on the number of tourists that end up coming into Merritt. People going right on through town. We have, if we can't get the signage to, to, to direct people into town, when you have an average of 10,000 vehicles a day, every day, 365 days of the year, if you're getting 1 or 2% of those people saying, hey, we're going to go into town and have a look around, come to Bailey House, to a tour Bailey House, see the things that we have downtown for people to see, that's a pretty fair number of people coming through. The closure means Bailey House, a heritage building in downtown Merritt, is now the one and only information center. With about 25,000 visitors to Merritt every year, it'll be an adjustment. I think this year will be an experiment. Uh, Destination BC has said that they expect maybe 5,000 more people will come to visit us this in the summertime. Meantime, Merritt City Council has already been in talks about setting up a mobile tourist center just off exit 290. Menard says the provincial government has already committed to $25,000 a year for at least the next four years. The new mobile visitor center is expected to be up and running by the summer. Jack Classen, CFJC News. All right, hopefully a, bit, a few more people will want to go to Merritt now after watching that. Let's go to Yvonne Schall. And, uh, was it windy in Merritt, Yvonne, last night? It was more about the snow for the interior uh -huh. sections. But yes, many areas into the interior also saw the winds. It has eased off for many spots. Here's a look at our current tower count shot. Out of the airport, we are reporting dry conditions, temperatures sitting at 6. A southerly wind sustained right now at 26 kilometres per hour. High, though, we managed to get into the double digits out of the airport. 10 was the high average for this time of the year sits at six degrees. A very happy birthday this evening to Tracy Stay from Coquitlam celebrating 105. So congratulations and I hope you've had a wonderful birthday. Happy birthday, Tracy. Here's a glance and a look at some of the numbers that we did see getting back to the forecast. Six was the high for Kelowna Kamloops with a new record temperature today at 9.6 or 9.7, I believe. Temperatures into the piece today at minus 7. Temperatures for coastal sections near the north for Prince Rupert at 5. And Victoria today with a high of 10 degrees in areas near Tofino with a high of 8 degrees. That system has pushed inland. We will still see a few isolated flurries, snow for higher elevations. I'll have more on the mountain passes in just a moment. But in behind it, this is what our Monday looks like. And there is some instability. We'll see a chance of showers for the morning hours across the south coast. And a mainly cloudy sky. And it should remain dry for the afternoon. And then another wave of moisture is going to push in for our Tuesday and Wednesday. Mountain passes, Coquihalla, Hope to Merritt, still seeing a snowfall warning. Anywhere between 20 and up to 30 centimeters will be the total by this evening before it starts to taper off. The Sea to Sky, if you're heading up from Squamish to Whistler, 10 and 20. And Highway 97 along the Pine Pass, also expecting 10 and 20 centimeters by this evening. 
The piece for tomorrow will see more cloud cover for the morning hours, a clearing for the afternoon. Temperatures up to minus 6. Your average for this time of the year sits at minus 10. White Horse, the snowfall will just be for the morning hours, dry by the afternoon, hanging on to cloud cover, and the return for some sunshine once again on Tuesday. Coastal sections will stay as rain, windy, especially if you're near the water. Inland for areas near Terrace, we'll see wet flurries for the morning hours. Stewart and Smithers, however, should remain dry underneath a mainly cloudy sky throughout much of the day tomorrow. Caribou and Central Interior, mainly cloudy with a southerly wind, gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour, flurries returning for both Tuesday and Wednesday. Columbia and Kootenai region will see a few wet flurries. It'll be for the morning hours, changing over to rain with temperatures up to 3 degrees. Thompson Okanagan should see a break in the action tomorrow, mainly cloudy, and then overnight into Tuesday, wet flurries, similar for Wednesday, rain mixed with snow. Whistler will see flurries in up to 2 centimeters for tomorrow. It changes back over to rain Tuesday and Wednesday, and across the island, also seeing showers. Most of it will be for the morning hours, much drier for the afternoon, and then the next system does start to push in on our Tuesday. So a nice break from all the active weather that we've been seeing, just seeing a chance of showers for the morning commute and back to school. By the afternoon, it's a mainly cloudy sky, a few breaks in the cloud, and then Tuesday onwards, still quite unsettled. We will be tracking some rainfall for the remainder of the week. Sonia? All right, thanks very much for that, Yvonne. All eyes on Hollywood tonight as women are set to take centre stage at the Screen Actors Guild Awards, which airs tonight here on Global. ET Canada's Cheryl Hickey sat down with the trailblazing host to find out why this year's SAGs are unlike any other in history. Cheryl? Yes, this has been one of the most memorable award show seasons to date. It all began at the Golden Globes with the black dresses in support of Me Too and the Time's Up movement. Then we went to the Critics' Choice where there were incredibly impactful speeches. And here we are at the SAG Awards where they are blazing their own trail with 13 female presenters. And for the very first time in the show's 23-year history, they have a host. A woman, the good places, Kristen Bell. And we caught up with her backstage to talk about this incredibly important moment in time. Let's celebrate these women and let's sort of just make it a visual message on stage. You know, no one needs to be given a lecture, but this will be a very strong visual with a very, uh, a lot of powerful, encouraging, supportive women. And a little insider information, if you receive a SAG award, you better get your Oscar speech ready because it really is the road to Oscar. Something else about the SAG awards, they're very special because they're voted on by their peers, so it has a little extra weight. Tonight, fashion will be front and center because everybody is ready to celebrate such a fantastic year in film. We'll have all those details at etcanada.com, on Instagram, on Twitter, and of course on our show tomorrow night. So we'll see you there. But for now, it's back to you. All right, Cheryl, thanks very much for that. You can catch it all at 8 o'clock tonight right here on Global. Barry has sports coming up next and still to come. He was waiting for a kidney donation. The unconventional move one man makes that saved his life. That story later on the News Hour tonight. All right, welcome back. Lots of sports to talk about. And um, start, Superman. Start football. Tom yeah. Brady, what a life. What a life. <laughs> Just win Super Bowls. Married the lingerie model. All right. <laughs> Everyone loves him. All right. 
But, you know, I, I don't have a man crush or anything. All right. Thanks, Sonia. Uh, maybe Tom Brady just uh, needed a challenge. He's uh, won dozens of big games while he was completely healthy. But now you can add another chapter to his legendary story. As you must all know by now, Brady sliced his throwing hand in practice Wednesday, requiring some 10 stitches near his thumb. It was the story the last four days. And just when it looked like the Jaguars might pull off a massive upset, Brady did what Brady does best, lead the Patriots to victory. And would there be a glove on that throwing hand? No, just some tape. Didn't seem to affect his throws that much. Certainly in the first quarter, he came out firing, basically to show the Jags the hand was not an issue. First possession, six for six, led to a field goal, and the Patriots were on the board up 3-0. But the Jags controlled the ball and the clock for a large portion of the first half. Blake Bortles to Mercedes Lewis for the touchdown. 7-3 Jacksonville, and then on their next possession, another drive capped by a touchdown. Leonard Fournette bowls in from four yards out, and Jacksonville shocking the football world up 14-3. Patriots try to answer Brady to Rob Gronkowski, but he took a vicious helmet-to-helmet hit. There was a flag on the play, but Gronk really got rocked. He left the game, did not return. He has a concussion. But thanks to two big pass interference calls, New England did get in the end zone before the half. James White on the short touchdown run. So 14-10 Jags at the break, but Jacksonville wasn't going away in the third. They tried the flea flicker. Didn't go as planned, but Bortles, so good on his feet, gets something out of it, led to another Jags field goal. They led 20-10 in the fourth. Pats need to make something happen. Here's some razzle-dazzle. Brady with the pass to Danny Amendola behind the line of scrimmage. He throws the lateral to Deion Lewis. He's got a big gainer, but then that number one ranked Jag defense comes up big. They force the fumble on Lewis, and it just doesn't look to be the Patriots' day. But this is Tom Brady. When they get the ball back, Brady to Danny Amendola for the touchdown. That made it 2017. And then, with under three minutes to go, Brady does it again. Although it's Amendola with an incredible catch at the back of the end zone, gets both feet down. Boy, they have so many clutch performers on this team. The Patriots out front 24-20. The Jags, though, had time. It came down to this, fourth down. Bortles is going to be on the run when he throws his best. It looks like he's got an open receiver, but a great defensive play by Stephon Gilmore, and the Patriots win again, 24-20 the final. They celebrate. Even the hoodie celebrates. Blake Bortles literally shedding some tears. Tom Brady on his way to his eighth Super Bowl. We always have confidence. We really do. I mean, whether it's the beginning of the game or toward the end, I mean, it's never really over until it's over with this team. So, you know, I was proud of the way we fought. It's a mentally tough team, and we need a lot of mental toughness today, and we found a way to dig deep and get it done, even, you know, on offense without one of our very best players. So it's a great, great win. It was, Tom. NFC Championship, Vikings at the Eagles, perfect weather conditions. Case Keenum and the Vikings, road favorites in this one, and they look good early. Keenum lofting it to Kyle Rudolph for the 25-yard touchdown on their opening possession. 7-0 Vikings later in the first, looking for more. But Keenum is hit as he throws. Patrick Robinson picks him off. And he's not going to stop until he runs this one back 50 yards for the touchdown. Although maybe he ran about 80 yards to get the 50. It's a huge momentum swing in this game. Vikings looked like they were 
moving the ball at will all of a sudden at 7-7. Early second quarter, Eagles offense gets going. They march the field, and it's LeGarrette Blunt, the former Patriot, pulls his way in for the 11-yard touchdown. Eagles take their first lead 14-7. Vikes look to answer. They're in the red zone, but Derek Barnett with the rush, knocks the ball out of Keenum's hand, then recovers the fumble. Minnesota gets nothing. That Eagle defense coming up large with two key turnovers. Then late in the half, Nick Foles going deep for Alshon Jeffrey. 53-yard touchdown. It could not have gone any better, better for the Eagles in the first 30 minutes. They led 24-7 at the half. And in the third, they keep the pedal down. It's the flea flicker. Three of the four teams playing today did flea flickers. This one worked. Falls for Torrey Smith, who makes the grab, gets in for the touchdown, a 41-yarder, and it's just gone final. 38-7 for the Eagles. So Super Bowl 52, two weeks from today in Minneapolis, has the Patriots and the Eagles. Still to come, Adam Hadwin contends at the Career Builder Challenge in Palm Springs. And after nearly seven weeks out, Bo Horvat finally returns for the Canucks. Early highlights from Winnipeg when we come back. Monday, total frustration. BC wildfires caused many bus trips to be canceled. They just kept stringing me along and stringing me along. But Greyhound customers say the fight for refunds is lasting more than six months. Consumer Matters, Monday on Global News Hour at 6. Welcome back. For the first time in a long time, the Canucks are pretty much back to full health, at least at forward. Their great first quarter of the season seems a distant memory after the team's tumble down the standings the past seven weeks. But it's been injuries to key players, Sutter, Berchi, and of course, Bo Horvat. But Bo and his broken ankle bone have healed, and he was back in the lineup tonight in Winnipeg. He missed a total of 18 games. Canucks 4-12-2 without him. Jets open the scoring in this one. They were buzzing the Canuck zone for a lot of the first period and nice pass from Blake Wheeler out front to Patrick Lyonet. Quick release past Anders Nilsson. Made it 1-0 Jets. Lyonet's 21st. Another chance Matthew Perot picking the pocket of Derek Pouliot but a nice save by Nilsson who made 14 of them in the first. Canucks didn't have a lot of chances. Nick Dowd with the shot but a save by Hellebuck. 1-0 Jets after two. The Vegas Golden Knights continue to lead the Western Conference. They're at Carolina tonight, and they didn't waste any time. Pierre Edward Bellamar will give Vegas the early lead. one nothing over Carolina, and then later in the period, on the power play, they'll tee it up for Colin Miller. Blasts home his sixth of the year. That made it 2-0, and just 39 seconds after that, Jonathan Marchessault. How did Florida get rid of this kid? He's outstanding. His 17th. Vegas wins it easily 5-1. The Golden Knights are first overall in the NHL. They now have a point more than Tampa Bay. Flyers and Capitals. Washington leading a very competitive Metropolitan Division. Flyers in a huge logjam. Teams 2 through 8 in that division are separated by just 6 points. They all have a chance for the playoffs. Michael Raffle scores here. Short side on Braden Holtby to make it 1-0. But have we seen this before? Alex Ovechkin with the one-timer on the power play, maybe four or five hundred times. His 29th goal leads the NHL, 1-1 after regulation. Overtime didn't need long before they got a winner. Travis Konechny with a beautiful wrister here, and the Flyers, they're in the playoff hunt. Actually, if the playoffs started today, they'd be in. 2-1 the final in overtime. Final round of the Career Builder Challenge from Palm Springs. Adam Hadman just three off the lead when the day began, paired with Spaniard John Rahm. 11th hole, Adam will roll in the birdie from the fringe. His third straight birdie gets to 18 under, and he's just two off the lead, who is uh, John Rahm. He's got that lead. Rahm, meanwhile, beautiful tee shot here on the tough 
par 313. Got it to two feet, and he made that one for birdie. Also birdied 14, so he got up to 22 under par. Four shots up on Hadwin. Adam did not catch him, but he made two late birdies to fatten his paycheck. This one on 17. Adam tied for third. 306,000, not a bad weekend in the desert. Nick Taylor, 57,000 after tying for 20th. He also had a good day today. Meanwhile, Andrew Landry needed this putt on 18 to force a playoff, and what do you know, he knocked it in. So Landry and Rahm go extra holes to see who's going to win this. That took four of them. They played the 18th four times before Rahm finally knocks in the birdie to get the victory in Palm Springs at the Career Builder Challenge. Lone match on the English Premiership schedule. Tottenham and Southampton. Disaster for Spurs in the opening half. Ryan Bertrand's crosser into the box. Davinson Sanchez. Beautiful finish, but of course he plays for Spurs. It's an own goal. 1-0 Southampton. But three minutes later, off the corner, who else but Harry Kane gets on the end of it. His 99th career EPL goal. It ends 1-1. Spurs stay fifth. Liverpool can pull five points ahead with the win at Swansea tomorrow. And we've got some Australian Open. Fourth round, men's top seed Rafa Nadal taking on Argentina's Diego Schwartzman. They split the first two sets, but then Nadal cranked it up in the third and fourth. Big overhead winner here, and Nadal moving on to the quarterfinals in four sets. Also local favorite Nick Kyrgios taking on third seed Gregor Dimitrov. Close match, but it was Dimitrov who won all three of his sets in tiebreakers. That was the difference as he moves on to the quarterfinal as well. And Roger Federer will play his fourth round match. Trying to join those guys in the corners later tonight. Brilliant. Thank you very much for that, Barry. All right, how a bold idea and the kindness of a stranger saved the life of a man who needed a kidney donation. We'll have that story in just a second. Judge for yourself who's got the winning touch. Pete Baldry moderates the B.C. Liberals' leadership debate in a Global News exclusive, 7 p.m. Tuesday, only on B.C. One. Here's a look at your conditions on the mountains. Whistler Blackcomb with 60 new centimeters of snow and a base of 280. Grouse with a base of 266, Cypress 307, Sasquatch 271. Revelstoke with a base of 195, Manning Park 147, Powder King 198. Big White with a base of 194, Silver Star 183, Sun Peaks 146, and Apex 171. All right. Now, people who need an organ donation can sometimes be on a waiting list for years. Now, one man decided he couldn't wait, so he did something unconventional to get his message out. It turns out it actually saved his life. For Robert Leibowitz, the worst part of kidney failure isn't 12 hours of dialysis every week. It's knowing how much his five children worry. The donor list can be a seven-year wait. I was desperate. Like, what do I got to do that I can get a normal life back together? So he came up with a crazy idea. And I thought, you know, where am I going to hit more people than I am in a week in Disney? A family vacation in this T-shirt. The picture went viral. Within the first 24 hours... We had 33,000 Facebook shares. But would someone out there actually donate one of their kidneys to a stranger? I called them like, hey, my name is Richie. I saw your post. I have an extra kidney. I'm O positive. Miles away in Indiana. Which clothes do you want to wear? Richie Sully, a 39-year-old father of two girls, never thought of being a kidney donor until he read about Robert. If I can give this guy 20 more years with his kids, I mean, 
Who wouldn't do that as a parent or as a person? Humanity has a new name and his name is Richie Sully. Where's my uh, brother from a different mother? His kidney was a perfect match. So were their personalities. Give me a piece of your kidney, baby. So this week at New York Presbyterian Wild Cornell Medical Center, kidney. they had their surgery. Richie, humble. I'm not an angel. I'm just doing you're an angel. Robert's mom. What's your an angel? And kids set him straight. I can't explain as much as you. Thank you so much. Once a stranger who saved a life. I love you, buddy. Now, a lifelong friend. Wow, it's amazing to see. It brings isn't it? tears to your it eyes. It does, yeah, it's definitely. A great story. Uh, good luck to all of those guys. Now, it was a party tens of millions of years in the making. I want you to check this out. Yeah, we'd go to that, right, Yvonne? <laughs> About three dozen people dressed up in their favorite T Rex costumes yesterday and partied in a public square in Portland, Maine. Uh, the dino flash mob was the idea of two local women. After one of them brought a dinosaur costume online, she then posted it on social media, calling on other T Rex fans to meet up. And then there you go, the prehistoric party uh, was there and it drew more than 100 bystanders. And I think that's where Barry's gone. He's gone to go and find his T-Rex <laughs> costume. He's apparently he's got one high. And do the YMCA. Yeah, it's exactly. hard in that costume. It Get is. on them. It's hard to do it anyway, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Thank you very much for watching. We'll see you back here at 11. Good night. <laughs>